Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Away we go. Welcome into the show and the Wednesday edition of Scoops with Danny Mac. I'm Dan McLaughlin. As always, Colin Surrey is our producer. Really want to hear from you today. The Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And I always appreciate the Rhino Shield mic drop. So much to get into. Tonight is the Major League Draft, and I'll visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. We're going to get into a bunch of different things. Obviously, the draft. Also, what's going on with the proposals in baseball. Where is baseball in the minor league season right now? He covers the minors. He's an expert on the draft, so we'll get his thoughts on what this draft will look like. The Cardinals have seven picks in the five rounds. And remember, this draft is only five rounds. And the Cardinals have seven picks and five of those regular picks, one through five, and then two compensatory picks along the way. So this draft is as unique as it has ever been. The draft will have a feel of what the NFL and the WNBA did. It'll have choices made on a Zoom call with John Mosellock and scouting director Randy Flores at Bush Stadium. No war room. So none of the scouts there, none of the cross-checkers. Now they'll be in contact with those guys, but not in person. So it's going to be interesting. Spoke to Randy about the uniqueness of this particular draft. Well, uh, unprecedented, right? And not just for me, but for all, all scouting directors, whether you've been in the job a few years like me or or like some of our veterans who are you know going on to their second decade of leading scouting departments and with each of those orgs there's different ways of tackling that and we're marching through the process of tackling it in our own uh unique way to our culture and processes as we march to to these selections how about evaluating players if you can't see them in person um with technology i'm assuming that has got to be big for what you're trying to do for your job yeah you know what it's just more complex dan and so you think of even a few years ago uh what was groundbreaking was some sort of video an archive and tagging video system much like the business that and startup that i was in before coming here but then since then, uh, there's been a proliferation of, of ball tracking and TrackMan and sensors and Rapsodos and hitting cage or hit tracks. Uh, there is uh, various performance assessment that, that's just everywhere now. And it's not just something that happens in the month before the draft. And so it's kind of balancing all these new pieces of information in a landscape that's unprecedented and coming to the best decision possible with that limited data set. Do you find, Randy, that, that players or their fathers or their coaches, um, universities, colleges, whatever, high schools are sending video out of, of all their kids to all the teams just to say, hey, here's my guy, he's still working, and, and this is some of the measuring that you can do on video? You know what? There is a platform for that through the commissioner's office where there are uh, procedures in place because you, you have to balance that, Dan. Uh, you know, let's just say an ambitious parent or a, an, an advisor or a kid who's trying to show the professional scouting landscape uh, that he's healthy or that he's in shape. Uh, but, but balancing that with uh, health and safety uh, of those participating, making sure that they're adhering to the policies uh, that are enacted in their local municipalities or, or, or cities or states. And so it is a balancing act and there are checks and balances in place to make sure uh, that whatever uh, prospects are sending out is done in a safe manner. Absolutely. Um, Randy Flores is our guest, the assistant GM of the Cardinals, and the draft is is coming up. It's right around the corner. 
Um, I, I mentioned that you had this recruiting service in your past. Describe that to fans because you were, in my opinion, you were kind of ahead of the game with technology and things of that nature. What were you doing with that recruiting service that really caught the attention of a lot of people in baseball? Well, what, what I was doing was I had just come out of baseball, professional baseball, and I was in graduate school. And while at graduate school at USC, I was an assistant baseball coach. And so part of that for my year coaching involved uh, recruiting or scouting uh, potential recruits. And in doing that, I found myself frustrated that it was archaic in many ways. It was the typical scout goes to game, scout takes notes, scout takes notes back to head coach, coach has to go to game to see what you just explained. And, and all I did was try to piece together uh, the operations and logistics to capture the types of video that I was accustomed to studying and using and prepping with as a major leaguer and taking that to places that did not have the infrastructure or the, the, the cost basis to support uh, that type of experience on amateur fields where it's not just one amateur field, it's 12 fields at complexes. Or particularly what got the, in, the notice of the industry is that I took this concept uh, to the Cape Cod Summer League and captured uh, their entire summer uh, in a mobile setup of, of this typed up tagged video. And uh, you know, th th since then, uh, the technology has gotten even better and better. And uh, I, I think that, that the concept will wound up being proven sound. We have a couple of guys that you drafted. Tommy Edmond, Cardinals don't get into postseason play without his contributions last year. Dylan Carlson on the cusp of being a major leaguer. Um, are you like a proud papa when you watch those guys? It's got to be different than maybe how other people evaluate it. But these were your guys. You invested in them. All of a sudden, they're ready to be big leaguers. One is already. What's that like for you Is from your from your perspective and your seat in the organization? Look, I, I'd answer it this way. The, the biggest thing is I'm just proud of them, right? Not so much me being a proud father, but someone was going to draft Tommy Edmonds. Someone was going to draft Dylan Carlson. We're lucky enough that they landed in our laps and we got them. But their work, the way that they've gone through the minor leagues, the way that they've grabbed the opportunity, the way that they have accessed the resources of Gary LaRock and our player development system to propel themselves to the stage, um, that it's their body of work. But what I am proud of is the feeling to be able to match the look in the eyes that I saw in the postseason in 2015 when I was just months into the job. And I was watching that postseason up in the box with Mo, and I saw that Mo and Gersh and Moises, Gary LaRock, John Booch, and Matt Slater, um, those who were in attendance in that booth, I saw the look in their eyes as they knew the story behind every one of those players on that field. Mm -hmm. The injuries that they had come back from, how were they... Well, uh, procured, um, you know, the, the development or the pitch that they learned, um, the things that they had gone through in their path. And, and it felt to be able to mirror their expression a little bit on our postseason run was something that was uh, extremely uh, gratifying. 37 picks tonight. Many thanks to Randy Flores. Big night for him and big night for so many kids. And that should not be overshadowed by what is going on in Major League Baseball. It should be a celebration of their career up to this point. It should be a celebration for their family, their mom, their dad, brother, sister, girlfriend. Everybody that's been a part of their life getting to this point tonight, that's really a shame. And it won't be. You know, there's going to be some frustration watching the Major League Baseball draft and realizing that there's no baseball potentially this season. So who will be the next St. Louis Cardinal? Gets to become a very difficult decision for players that are drafted. You think about it. Do they sign knowing that there is no agreement in place with Major League Baseball? 
and the elimination of a minor league season this year? Or do they go for it? It's a personal decision in many ways about development. It isn't an easy one. The Cardinals may set up a camp down in uh, Florida to invite these kids that they draft just to try to keep the development going, but that's still unsure at this point. Love getting the text messages from the 314 and the Air Comfort Service text line. Danny Mac, loving the show. Heard about the elimination of minor league teams. What do the Cardinals do? Well, it would be the elimination, more than likely, of Rookie League Johnson City. The other club could be State College. That's a short-season Class A club. Danny Mack from the 573. Has the minor leagues been canceled? If so, what happens with the players? Well, the players are being asked to throw and keep themselves in shape for a season. Read the tea leaves. It isn't going to happen. So I think it's going to be fascinating who comes out of this and ready to play for their respective organizations. For example, if you're a prospect and not on the proposed taxi squad, if we get there, which are 50 players, so you got your 26-man roster and then the other guys of the taxi squad, who are you throwing against? There's only so many guys you can throw bullpens to. You got to have some live action. Who are you facing? Where's your development? That has to be of great concern right now for Major League Baseball. Hey, all week on 101, we're talking about the home run chase of 1998. Yesterday on the Fast Lane, Steve Stone was a guest. I love Steve Stone, one of the best analysts in the game. And he was an analyst for the Cubs back in 1998. Well, I I think there was one situation, if you recall it, and I'm not sure if you guys were around St. Louis at the time, but there was a time when Mark McGuire... Uh, had said that he actually felt like um, he felt like an animal in the zoo and he felt like going out there and taking batting practice um, and having everybody around watching was to him distracting and not particularly enjoyable and there was a time when he thought about actually taking batting practice strictly inside you know hitting in the cage taking his batting practice then going out to the game and I think what happened really I think the personality and the way that Sammy dealt with what was going on at the time. Sammy was using using great deflection techniques at the time. Everybody would go to Sammy and say, you know, they'd say to him, hey, you know, you're in this home run race, it's great, you're doing this, you're doing that, and he goes, no, 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 you're, you're, talk, you're, not, you're, you're talking to the wrong guy. Uh, go down, you know, go down and talk to Mark. Mark's the man. I mean, he's the guy, because Mark was leading pretty much the whole way, and he goes, he's the man. You know, he's, talk to Mark McGuire, he's the man. And Sammy in his own way, Sammy was not one of the smartest men around. However, as a public relations guy, he was outstanding. He really was. I mean, and he realized that if he could take some pressure off him, uh, whether he put it on Mark or not was irrelevant, but he thought he would be better off. And so I think, and, and I can only guess at this because I wasn't privy to what was going on in St. Louis at the time, but I think eventually somebody got to Mark McGuire and said to him, because if you go back and you look at quotes from that year, stories from that year, and everything that went about it, all of a sudden I think somebody got to Mark McGuire and said, hey, Mark, there's a guy north of here about 300 miles, and he's got a smile on his face every day. He loves the fans. He lets them know it. He embraces each and every home run. He keeps talking about you, and he keeps having the time of his life this year. You are losing whatever public relations battle there is, and this guy is capturing the fancy of all the fans. So maybe you want to rethink the way you're approaching this. And then Mark started to engage and enjoy the chase. 
And then you have some brilliant moments that came out of 98. I mean, you know, the, the hugging at the plate with his son and uh, Sammy's hug for Mark. And, and it became a gigantic love fest, but it became something that Mark embraced. He just didn't embrace it all year long. And for quite a, time, quite a, quite a while, he didn't embrace it near as well as Sammy was embracing it. And I think that was part of, uh, you know, that was part of the plan that Sammy says, well, take some of the pressure off me, I'll put it all on him, and I'll get the reporters to go down and talk with him and let <laughs> let him deal with him. But, uh, you know, it was, I only saw it from one point of view, that was, that was Sammy's point of view. And again, it was wildly entertaining. Plus, we were in St. Louis when Mark hit that line drive that just barely cleared the fence. Um, was that number sixty-two? I believe. Yep. Um, and uh, and the the uh, what is it? One of the grounds crew was able to capture the baseball and bring it back to Mark. So that was you know that was one that we didn't know if we would get out or not. It was kind of thrilling. I mean that we were there to actually see that. So, I mean you know when when you play teams as many times as you played St. Louis because obviously the Cubs and St. Louis in the same division, you got a chance to see that chase up close and personal a lot and it was engaging. Highly entertaining interview yesterday with Steve Stone. They got into the home run chase, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire and also working with Harry Carey. Um, I remember talking to Dave McKay who was the first base coach at that time for the St. Louis Cardinals and he was the personal batting practice pitcher for Mark McGuire. And remember, they used to open up the gates early, so you would have 20, 25,000 people just to watch, just to watch batting practice. There was a lot of pressure on McGuire. He didn't want to let people down. He didn't want to not hit a home run. I mean, everything was based on that season, him knocking one out of the ballpark. The team wasn't very good. The irony that I find in this, though, is that the pressure, if you want to say it that way, was that you know, he's right. There was more pressure, it seemed like, on McGuire, and Sosa embraced it. And now here we are years later, and Mark McGuire has embraced it. He's admitted he took steroids. He's in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. He's visited with media, and you haven't heard anything from Sosa. And I do think that this home run chase and the documentary on Sunday is going to put more pressure on those in Chicago to invite Sammy back. So McGuire did it, came out clean. And said, uh, you know, I was doing things that uh, now we look back on I shouldn't have been doing. It was steroids. The organization welcoming back. I remember being uh, down in spring training. And we'd be in the media room. And there was a lot of national media coming through at that time when he became the hitting coach of the Cardinals. He would peek his head in and say, does anybody need me? Does anybody want to talk? And by the end of spring training, everybody had done their McGuire story. He became a hitting coach. There was talk about him becoming a manager someday. And he was back in the game. Sosa, that has been different. And that's the irony of it. 98, Sosa may have deflected that attention. Now here we are, two decades later, it's Sosa is the one that uh, people are talking about because they want to see him if he'll be engaged with the Chicago Cub family. Interesting. Uh, 636... This is um, on the Air Comfort Service text line. Cardinal fan, but Stoney is the GOAT. Yeah, he's awesome. 618, if a team does not sign a player, what happens? Player goes back to college, goes back to high school. First-round pick, you're talking about a compensatory pick, potentially, because that will not be tied into a free agent, so you could have two top picks going into next year. 573, Danny Mack, love the show. 
true baseball fan, think the DeWitts are great for the game. I think his comments were just trying to say that the clubs have a lot of expenses that the players union does not want to consider. I would agree. I always go to games, but the length of guaranteed contracts are the reason that there's problems. Again, as I said in the crossover, the DeWitts have been great stewards of this franchise. The timing of it, anything dealing with economics or money, it's just not good, period. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll hear from Brian Walton on tonight's draft and also the minor league system uh, system, and where we're at right now in Major League Baseball. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Wednesday edition of Scoops with Danny Mack. And we always have the chance to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. And tonight it is Major League Baseball's draft. Used to be 40 rounds, used to be even more than that. And tonight it's down to five rounds. Brian, good morning. Always good to visit with you. Good morning, Dan. Well, what do you think of this draft? I mean, only five rounds. It's completely different than what we're normally used to. Uh, just your general impression of how this thing is going to unfold. Well, yeah, it's a combination of factors. I think we talked about previously the the fact that there doesn't look like there's going to be a minor league season this year, uh, the financial pressure on the owners, uh, you know, and the fact that minor league teams, you know, a number of minor league teams are going away, roughly 40 teams next year. All those things kind of came together to create an environment where a smaller draft makes sense. And the collegians get an extra year of, of eligibility. So, you know, another factor that says, hey, you know, uh, baseball is going to take it easy this year. But uh, the positive is that right now there's so little live sports, so little live activity. MLB draft, which you couldn't even follow except uh, online, now is going to be on live TV, MLB Network, ESPN. And tonight, uh, the first round plus a supplemental round, the first 37 picks will be made. So they'll be spread out a little bit. The draft starts at 6 o'clock, but the Cardinals' first pick won't probably happen until around 8 p.m. And then on Thursday, starting at 4 o'clock, they'll pick up the final four rounds during which the Cardinals have a total of have six picks. So the, to- the Cardinals' total in this draft in those five rounds will be seven selections. And in this draft, it's going to be very similar to what we saw with the NFL, is it not? And WNBA, kind of Zoom calls, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Much more interactive. And, you know, it's it's long, long overdue. MLB, in my opinion, has done a, a terrible job of, of merchandising and paying attention to the minor leagues. And this year they were going to, you know, have it in Omaha and have it in conjunction with the College World Series. So it was a step in the right direction. Obviously they can't do that, but this is going to be, you know, a much bigger deal than it's been in the past. And I think that's definitely a positive for the game that's that's been under a lot of pressure uh, lately. Yeah, it's been under a ton of pressure, and it makes you wonder if some of these kids are going to sign. And will, will some of these guys sign, or will some of them go back to college? And that's been a lot of the talk going into this draft. What do you think? Well, I think that uh, if... I think that any player that gets picked, uh, you know, of these 160, that'll be uh, the uh, the number that'll be picked over the next two days. If any of these players don't sign, then something dramatically happened. Uh, teams do the, the the signing scouts and the organizations do a pretty good job of assessing ahead of time what it's going to take to sign a young man and. Teams aren't going to waste draft picks on players that they can't take uh, unless they want to use that money on other picks because they can shift money around. The card, you know, all the teams have a, a finite pool that they can spend, but they can shift it around among players. So I think in most cases, these teams that are going to pick these players know what it's going to take to sign them, and they and they think they can get the job done. 
What direction do the Cardinals go in, in your opinion? And, uh, you know, just the strengths and the weaknesses right now of the minor leagues. So what, what, where, where would, it, would they go with their picks, you think? Well, the Cardinals traditionally have taken uh, college, player, college pitchers in the first round. And as you look at this draft, there's certainly a lot of talent uh, in that area that, that may be available when the Cardinals pick at number 21 overall. Of course, the challenge is to understand what and, and try to predict what the teams ahead of them are going to take. Uh, you know which players because that could immediately uh, alter your plans but there are three or four college pitchers that the various mock drafts that uh, industry people have held uh, think the Cardinals might be interested in uh, Cole Wilcox of Georgia uh, Kate Cavelli Oklahoma uh, Carmen Blodzinski of South Carolina Garrett Crotchet of Tennessee are some of the names that have been talked about college uh, polished college pitchers that the Cardinals might take um, but you know it'll be interesting to see what happens as the draft unfolds It'll be interesting, too. Let's say you're a fourth or a fifth rounder, okay? And you have the chance, if you stay in school, maybe to be a first rounder next year. With the uncertainty of the minor leagues, the uncertainty of where we're at uh, in the economic climate of the, uh, climate of the sport, do you see those kids saying, I'm good, I, I know it's a lot of money, uh, I'm, but I'm, I'm passing it up. I'm going back to the first round if I can get there. Do you, do you see that happening tonight? Oh, that certainly that can happen, Dan, and that will happen. But again, hopefully those players, from an organization's perspective, hopefully those players will have been weeded out before the draft. But really the essence of what you're touching on there, Dan, is that the 160 players that get picked over this draft aren't the best 160 players. Right. They are the top 160 players who are viewed to be signable where their talent slots them in the draft. If I'm a fourth or fifth rounder, you know, I'm going to make less than a half, somewhere between 300 and, and half a million dollars in signing bonus. And if that's good enough to satisfy me, then I'm going to tell teams, yeah, pick me. But if I want a million dollars and I'm only a fourth or fifth round talent, teams are going to say, hey, you know, good luck to you. You know, go back to school, do whatever you got to do. Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com, my guest. I- I'm curious. I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you. Um, let's say the first 10 picks. Are any of those kids that you see could make the jump initially to the major leagues. So they could help right now. Do you you ever see that happening with uh, this draft? Boy, that happens so rarely, uh, you know, in, in, you know, of course in other sports, NFL, NBA, you know, it happens all the time, but baseball with its uh, development process, you know, I think, we might have to go back to Mike Lee to, uh, you know, find a guy who had the talent to jump directly to the major leagues. No, the answer to your question is no, I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, the first pick, uh, Spencer Torkelson, a first baseman from Arizona State, is kind of what, uh, you know, looks like the Tigers are going to take. But even he probably won't, uh, you know, jump right to the major leagues, even for a, a bad team like Detroit. Now, you know, part of this, you know, condensing of the minor leagues is designed to streamline the development process so that players maybe can do more of their development in college, fewer high schoolers signed, and that gets them a faster path to the major leagues. I think that's part of the thinking of what's behind uh, you know, some of this drive by Major League Baseball to streamline the minors. And a question then would be, where do the minor leaguers go? If there's no minor league season, where do they go develop in 2020 and beyond? Well, and that's a fine question. In 2020, there's nowhere to play right now. Now, there has been a rumor that uh, there's a league called the Arizona Fall League that some fans may be familiar with that that is typically played in the October-November time in the Phoenix uh, area. And the way that Arizona Fall League works, every team sends uh, seven or eight prospects, and they form a, a league of basically six teams. There's been some talk of maybe this year moving that up 
to the July-August kind of time frame and expanding it so that each organization would have one team. So instead of the Arizona Fall League being six teams, there would be 30 teams. There'd be a 15-team league in Arizona and a 15-league team in Florida. So it would kind of be a way to get around not having a minor league season and for an organization to have, say, their top 25, 30, 35 prospects potentially compete in some kind of organized action. But that's just a rumor at this point. There you know, certainly are questions about whether those players can gather and how they would be paid and that kind of thing. But as of right now, you know, the minor league season hasn't been officially canceled, but the odds seem extremely, extremely high that minor league baseball you know, across America is just not going to be played in 2020. In terms of a Randy Flores draft, um, he's had Tommy Edmond. He's had, uh, got Dylan Carlson on the cusp of being uh, a big leaguer. He's had others that have made it. What What do you think uh, the, the job, well, just, you know, go back in, in some of the drafts that he's had. How, how would you evaluate the job that Randy and his team have done? <clears throat> Um, most of Randy's drafts have been good. Now, the draft, the 2017 draft is probably the exception. And, you know, that, that draft was the one in which the Cardinals lost their first pick uh, due to the signing of Dexter Fowler as a free agent and then the two from the, uh, from the Houston hacking scandal penalty. Uh, but, you know, overall, and, and that draft really hasn't yielded anyone other than um, uh, potentially Cody Whitley, who was the 27th rounder. But uh, and <clears throat> but if you look at the the more recent drafts, the Cardinals have done well. Zach Thompson, uh, highly thought of. It's in last year. It's early on Trajan Fletcher, but he certainly has uh, plenty of talent. And then you mentioned the the Gorman uh, draft of 2018. Uh, Griffin Roberts, Luke and Baker, Mateo Gill are still you know percolating, but they all you know have some kind of potential. Uh, then and I skipped over 17, then back to 16, you know, Delvin Perez is a disappointment and, you know, he's really going to need to turn it on. But you look at Dylan Carlson and uh, Dakota Hudson and you say, hey, you know, that's that's a pretty darn. And of course, Edmund and Kisner, too. So, um, you know, overall, Flores has done a good job. I wouldn't say, you know, because of 2017, I, I wouldn't say an exceptional job. But, uh, you know, he's the Cardinals have a good group of scouts and they know uh, where to find talent. So. I think the Cardinals will leverage these seven picks and certainly uh, restock their farm system. I believe Brian and Brian Walton is our guest uh, that we're going to have baseball one way or another. I mean, the owners could slam down that schedule down the throats of the players and they're going to play. And each organization then is going to have to answer this question. Do I play Dylan Carlson in a short season. You mentioned Cody Whitley, Zach Thompson. Uh, this time, in a normal season, we may have seen them already up. Um, across the board, not just with the Cardinals, and you cover all the minor leagues, these organizations are going to have to answer that question. Is it worth the short season to bring them up? What, what do you think the answer to that question is? I think normally I would say the answer would be that there would be additional uh, pressure and additional motivation to play those players. However, another part of the new proposals that's, that both sides seem to agree on, one of the few things they do seem to agree on, is an expanded playoff uh, where uh, 16 teams overall would be in the playoffs. So what that means, I mean, you distill the numbers down, more MLB teams will be in the postseason than will sit out. So, you know, and again, we don't know the format and certainly there'll be some advantage for those teams that win their division and all that. But overall, to get in the playoff hunt, all you've got to be is an average or above team. So there's not going to be, you know, this exclusiveness 
of the playoffs and says, my gosh, if I don't win the division, I'm going to get left out. It's it's going to be just the opposite. In terms of uh, what's happening right now with the baseball situation on the labor front, it's been a terrible look for the sport. I don't think anybody uh, disputes that. Where do you stand on what's happening with some of the comments that have been made on both sides? And we heard from Bill DeWitt yesterday. We've heard from Tom Ricketts. We've heard from Blake Snell on the players' side. We see the tweets that are out there. It's it's just not been good, has it, Brian? No, it hasn't. And normally in a in a labor dispute, the fans tend to side more with ownership. Uh, you know, no matter what the issues are, because you know they create the message that hey, they're ready to play, and it's the greedy players that are that are holding it up. In this case, it's just the opposite because the players and the owners did come to an agreement on how they would be paid back in March, but now the owners want to uh, uh, have the players. Uh, come back with a lower level of salary than they already agreed to. And the players are saying, hey, wait a minute, we, you know, we got an agreement. We want to play more games, and the fans want to see more games. But, you know, we've got owners, uh, you know, crying poverty. That just rubs, you know, against the grain of how fans feel. And you see player, Jack Flaherty basically said this last deal from the owners was the same deal worked differently. And the owners don't seem to be in any hurry to negotiate because they know They've got this trump card that they can play a 50-game season or 48-game season at prorated pay. And so, you know, they wouldn't have to start till August, and they could still get it all in. So this, you know, this continues to drag on with little uh, view of progress. But, again, there likely will be baseball in August and September and this expanded playoff in October. And over time, I think the greater impact, the greater negative impact, or the greater damage is going to be in the negotiations for the next a cooperative bargaining agreement, which, uh, you know, are just around the corner. Yeah. I mean, do you see 2021 spring training being, obviously that'll be the subject front and center. And that's the question to me is, do you see players reporting? I mean, they could sue, uh, use that as leverage and say, Hey, we're, we're on strike going into the season. What do you think? Well, they're, you know, the players are under contract for 2021 under that agreement. So I think they'll come and play, but that, the rhetoric the rhetoric will get to the level that we'll all get tired of it very, very quickly. As we've seen, you know, over the last X number of months, uh, both sides have, you know, negotiated through the public and the fans just don't want to hear it. They just, they just want to see baseball. Now I do want to come back to, to one point though, Dan, cause I missed something that I wanted to just talk about briefly. And that is, you know, we're kind of of the assumption that the players are going to play and the games are going to happen eventually. And I think that's probably true, but Something that came up that hasn't gotten a lot of attention in the last proposal from the owners is something that's called an acknowledgement of risk waiver. Right. And what that is is the owners are going to ask the players to sign an agreement that basically says that the owners are absolved of any responsibility of providing a healthy, safe work environment. If, if anyone gets sick, if, if, if there's any problem, the owners are saying, you know, we don't want any responsibility for it. And, uh, that has not gone over well with the players that they, you know, they won't, they, they're saying they won't sign that. And if that, you know, if that becomes a condition for resuming the season, it could cause the whole thing to go up in smoke. It, it just feels Dan, like the owners, you know, really don't have any sense of urgency to want to get this thing resolved. Do you think the comments made by Flaherty on Twitter and it's only Twitter and you know that you, you take that with a grain of salt, in my opinion, but do you think those things have a lasting effect with he and the ball club and ownership? <clears throat> uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's nothing personal. We've seen from Jack Flaherty that he is very outspoken on manners of compensation. And, and, and I'm sure as he gets more experience in his career, he'll be one of the, the leaders of the players union because uh, he not only cares about it, but he also, uh, you know, un- seems to understand it very, very well. 
But I think that's separate from Jack Flaherty, the pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, I will say that once Jack Flaherty, and he's still, you know, uh, three or four years, four years away from that, but when Jack Flaherty's eligible for free agency, unless the labor um, um, environment in baseball changes, I think it would be very, very difficult for Jack, for the Cardinals to, you know, keep Jack Flaherty beyond uh, his free agent years, just because of, you know, how he feels about how players have been treated economically. And I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, I'm assuming you'll have full coverage of the draft at thecardinalnation.com. Absolutely. Um, you know, we haven't had a lot about the draft up to this point because there's just so many possibilities of players and the Cardinals picking so late. You know, there are there are dozens of names. We talked about starting pitchers, but the Cardinals could go uh, for a middle infielder. That's another area that... Uh, that they've been uh, rumored to be interested in a uh, shortstop Nick Lofton from Baylor at Howard, a, a high school shortstop. So, you know, um, but once the draft is done and we know who these seven new Cardinals are, we'll have full details on them, scouting reports, uh, videos. And of course we'll be tracking uh, when they sign. I believe the deadline uh, is July 15th. But I have to go back and check that, but there's a little bit less urgency because as we discussed, uh, you know, these young men won't start play formal play in the Cardinals system. It appears anytime soon. Great stuff, Brian, as always. Appreciate it. We'll catch up next week. Thank you. Take care, Dan. You know, Brian brings up some really interesting points from the ownership perspective and the sense of urgency to try to get this done because he's right. If they're only playing, you know, roughly 50 games, the the schedule moves back. I mean, you could start this thing in late July, early August. I want to get your thoughts on what you heard on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780-65780. Also drop me a, a comment on the Rhino Shield mic drop, and you can do that at the 101 ESPN app. Thanks to Brian Walton. This is Scoops with Danny Mac. We do this every day, 10 o'clock on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. I hope people understand as I'm speaking, there's two things that, that you have to understand is I, I can't speak for him, that he has to do that as own. And, and two, I hope people understand I do work for him. So it, <laughs> it, it does put you in a, a, a bit of a peculiar spot. But I do think what he was trying to convey is when you look at it from just a, a pure cash flow business, it's not necessarily a successful model. What it is, is obviously franchise values do go up and there's, you know, there's no running away from that. You look at what teams were being bought and sold for 25 years ago to where they are today, clearly people find value in those investments or they wouldn't do it. So you, you can't run and hide from that. And to your point, the country is really hurting right now. And to be in the middle of these types of arguments or debates, it's not helpful. So I'm going to take the high road here. And, and obviously <laughs> you guys can tell that, but it's I'm hopeful that these two parties, meaning the Player Association and MLB, can find a way to get back on the field and and put this behind us. But, you know, there, there's no doubt that the more you talk about this, the more in trouble you might get. John Mosellock, he's coming up with Ribs and BK. Really looking forward to that. That was his response to their question about Bill, De, Bill DeWitt's comments yesterday. The Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, let's go to the 618. I think they will work it out, but there will be hell to pay next year. Do we see it becoming a much younger, less paid movement? Danny Mack, by the way, miss you on the games. Love the show. 
Um, I think it's going to be fascinating what happens this offseason. With no revenue coming in, there's going to be, I'm sure, claims of collusion. What does a free agent get? I think some teams are just going to say, we're out of the free agent market. We're not going to get into it. We're not even going to dip our toe into it. We're going to go with what we've got. How will this suspended baseball season harm the legacy slash numbers of the guys currently in their prime? For example, Trout, Yelich, DeGrom, and Betts. That's from the 314. What about Pujols? Not in the prime of his career, but yet closing in on milestone numbers. I think that's even a bigger issue with what we have with a lost season right now. And Yadier Molina as it pertains to the St. Louis Cardinals. Games played in Cardinals history. All-time innings caught. Games caught. Those are things you got to think about. Also, he's closing in on 2,000 hits. And if he gets to 2,000 hits for a catcher, it's mm, probably looking at the Hall of Fame. Let's see. Uh, from the 636, I have a letter. My grandma wrote me while at summer camp during 98. My grandpa added it uh, to those to the numbers I would get as I was at camp telling me about the McGuire chase. Um, I love Mark McGuire. I think a lot of people do. I think also the fact that he came out and admitted he did steroids, it took the, uh, the brunt of some of this off of him. If he hadn't said anything, was still in hiding, so to speak, quote-unquote, there'd be a problem with this. I don't think they do. Uh, let's see. 434. I want baseball back for no other reason. I'm trying to teach my son, Ozzy, why I love the Cardinals, why I love the game. Danny Mack, I love you and appreciate what you do. I uh, I appreciate that. I get it. I mean, we see it every night. We making it we make it a point during our games to show people that are at the games with their sons, their daughters, um, grandparents teaching the game, keeping score at the game. It's a great game. We want to see it back. Hopefully, we will. We'll cross it over next. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on One Hundred and One ESPN. Ribs and BK are coming up, and they'll have you from 11 until 2. It is 10.54 here in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mack done every day at 10. I'll be with you guys, I believe, at 1.30. 1.30 it is. Uh, looking forward to your conversation with John Mosaloc. We played a little clip uh, to promote that, the interview that you guys recorded earlier. Um, but you did get into the comments by Bill DeWitt, and then John kind of followed up on that. What else does he talk about in your visit? So I wanted to talk to him a little bit about the draft with it being five rounds this year. And I know you talked about that earlier today, Danny, about what that's going to be like for them. What's the difference? What changes systematically from this compared to what a typical year would be? And then I also I was reading up a little bit on the undrafted free agency that's going to be taking place. The 20 grand. It's basically the Wild West out there. Yes. And he said it's essentially recruiting for college, but for the major leagues now. So it'll be interesting to learn a little bit more about that with Mo later today as well. I would say this, Jamie, if you're a player and you're one of those kids that doesn't get drafted, but you're looking for a team, you're going to look at teams, at least in my opinion, I could be wrong. How have they handled what's gone on in the last two months with this pandemic where you see, first of all, I'm not going to Oakland. Okay. That's they, they cut their minor <laughs> leaguers. So forget that. But I'm looking at maybe Toronto, who's been very good um, with their, their even prior to all this stuff with their minor leaguers. I think the way the Kansas City Royals have gone about this with their new ownership group and paying everybody and taking care of these guys, you're going to go to a place that's going to take care of you and it's going to pay potentially massive dividends down the line. Yeah, look, you're definitely going to be evaluating everything. And when you have the opportunity to talk to multiple teams, which these guys will be doing with their agents or representatives, however they go about it in baseball, um, yeah, you're going to be looking at that and you're going to be looking at development-wise. 
Number what, one, what does this team do me? with its players yep. and its drafts or signs? How quickly do they fast track some of their own talent? Are they a free agent frenzy team that just goes out and buys wins, or are they somebody that wants to develop from within? How long will it take me to get from you know minor league baseball to the majors for my call up? Who's in that position that I play right now? Currently, is he a lifer? Am I just beating a dead horse here, or do I have a chance in a couple of years to yeah. get up here? So there's a lot of things that these guys are going to be evaluating for sure. It, it is the wild, wild west. It's a good way to put it. Fascinating stuff. Ribs and BK coming up. John Mozalock, a guest. Uh, BK, I'm assuming you got others. I'll be on Mark Dijon as well. I'm very Great. excited about that coming up at 11:30. So a guy that's been in the car or was in the Cardinals organization for more than 25 years and was able to watch the 98 home run chase firsthand. One of the most beloved figures in recent Cardinal history that people don't talk about or know is Mark Dijon, and he actually was the best man at Mike Shields' wedding. So those two are very, very close. That's Ribs and BK. They're coming up next on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.